going on we're here with the legendary Jalen Baker Houston born Houston based amazing vibraphonist welcome to the Houston Ensemble podcast thanks for having me it is an honor oh man whatever I'm super (laughs) excited to be here thanks it's an honor to be here for everybody who doesn't know Jalen is a really amazing vibraphonist uh, all-around great person just a wonderful musician to play with and one, you know, huge reason that we wanted to have him on the podcast was because he just put out an album and we just want to pump up Houston artists doing cool music stuff. And I listened to the album. It was sweet. I'm going to let you talk about it here in a second. But, um, you know, for everybody who doesn't know, Jalen, can you tell them what you're doing with the album and talk about the music right from the get go? Yeah, so it's uh, my debut album um, with, I guess, it's a, com- it's a few different groups. Not even a few different groups. It's mostly my quartet. So with um, Paul Cornish. I don't know if you guys know Paul. Well, you went to school yeah. with Paul, right? <laughs> Small World. Um, Gavin Mochan, who y'all both know. Um, Gabe- Gabriel Godoy on bass, who I went to grad school with at FSU. Mm-hmm. Um Super talented trumpet player in New York named Gifton Jelen. And um, a string quartet um, with a violinist name. She calls herself Lady Jess. She doesn't like using her government name, apparently, so I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Um, Incredible cellist um, named Susan, forget her last name. Um, Violinist Orlando Wells. And what's the last person's name? And another... another, um, and a violist whose name escapes me right now and it's gonna come back oh Drew Andrew and um they're all great it was an incredible time we recorded it up in uh, New York um a friend of mine Ulysses Owens produced it and it was, it, was a, it was a great experience it was like really smooth it was probably the best recording experience I've ever had at the perfect time yeah. <laughs> so but all of it's it's ten tracks nine of my originals um and one cover of a Stevie Wonder tune. Mm-hmm. Which one? Um, Loves and Need a Love Today. So from uh, the really popular album, um, Songs in the Key of Life. So it's one of the like 30 tracks on that album. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, everything else is an original of mine. All the music's, I guess, is based in one way or another. Experiences of mine, either things that I've gone through or things that I've witnessed. Um, people going through who are close to me and everything's very personal I, some of the tunes are as old as four years and some of them are as recent as last summer mm-hmm. so it's a nice little um, gives a nice I guess musical timeline of where I am or where, what I've, where I've been to now Yeah. so I, really, I like how I love how it came out with the string quartet mm. I, I don't think I was necessarily expecting that to be in the album mm-hmm. immediately and one, I loved it. It was awesome. Were, did you write those parts out? Or? I did. Okay. I did. So I wrote I wrote them. So on the tunes that they're on, the tunes existed initially. So I just added the string parts, which is something I'm wanting to do um, more of. And 
I don't know. I just love I just love the expressive nature of strings and yeah. trying to figure out how they can work hand in hand with like a, I guess a, a normal jazz quintet or quartet mm-hmm. without them being just accompaniment. I think I got that a little bit, but you know, still trying to figure it out because I don't want them to just kind of be added color. Like and even on the album, there are parts where it's literally just strings playing. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of what I wanted. Um, what I was thinking when I was adding them to the tunes that they're on. Yeah. So it was sweet, and I feel like that's a different thing that you're not hearing. Like, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily automatically hear that today on just a standard out jazz record that's put out. You hear it sometimes. Yeah, but not not but that not often. often. But you used to hear it a lot, right? Yeah. Like back like Nat King Cole and uh mm-hmm. even like obviously uh Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Like there was strings on almost every jazz record, at least when there was a vocalist. Mm-hmm. And it would always be honestly to me at least the most ear catching thing about some of those uh recordings. Mm-hmm. Parker was strings and yeah, 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 strings. Exactly. So that's the album. Yeah, and um I guess the person that I enjoy listening to for his work with strings the most is like billy childs mm. um he's like at least to me um in the jazz world he's kind of the guy who does the string stuff <laughs> like, mm. and he has multiple projects i think one of them is called like into the light or something and it's incredible it's like jazz trio so piano trio and then uh the string quartet up front there might be a harpist too oh, um but the the quartet the string quartet is like so out front and it's you can't play he can't play that music without the string quartet and that's kind of something that i want to do i don't want to be able to strip things away like either i have the quartet and i can play the music or i or i just can't play that music Mm -hmm. so second album coming at you (laughs) okay there's one dude in the band i mean there there's not just one sorry Mm -hmm. Gifton? Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yes, Gifton. Gifton. Okay, I heard his album like last year mm-hmm. or something when it came out. And I was like, whoa. Dude's incredible, whoa. right? Whoa. That was, you know what I, it's, Yeah, yeah. Is I it just the, his name? I for, True Design. True, True Design, Design yeah. that's right. And that sound, that was like one of the most awesome albums that I heard last year. Mm-hmm. Just straight up jazz. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like that's not like people aren't putting out that kind of record today exactly mm-hmm. um and what he's from the islands I think specifically i think the bahamas the bahamas okay I think, don't quote me and I'm for sure. for everybody who doesn't know you know there's so many amazing musicians but this is another like amazing trumpet player who is super young he's like just turned 21 and yeah. sounds like he's 70 <laughs> yeah, and is like a in my ear kind of like a kind of sounds like Wallace Roney kind of sounds like Winton kind of sounds like Miles all mashed together. Mm-hmm. So that when I saw that he was on that, I was like, dang! How do you know him? So like, um, connected through Ulysses because um, mm-hmm. he goes to well went to Julia. I think he just graduated, and mm-hmm. uh, Ulysses Owens is a professor there. And I was like, yeah, um. I would love, I brought up the idea of using Gifting because I actually, and he doesn't know this, um, but I actually heard him, I guess, August, maybe 2019, literally right before I moved back to Houston, actually, because I was up in New York playing with Ulysses and the bass player in that group that I was playing with had a gig at Smoke at like 
1 a.m. because they do that in New York for some reason. And uh, I was staying with him, so I had to tag along willingly. And um, he was playing with Gifton. It was Gifton's quintet. Who was the bass player? Uh, Philip Norris. Philip Norris. Yeah, he's cold, right? Yeah. Bad dude. And um, so I went and, went and checked him out, and immediately, like, the first few notes, I was like, yeah, I think I want to play with this guy. It's like everybody else on the stage was great, but it's something about him, he just has, like, a different approach. And um, I think he fit in with um, what we were doing on my album great because, like, I guess of the three lead or solo instruments, piano, vibes, and trumpet, I don't think any of us really sound alike, mm-hmm. which I love. I don't. I, I prefer to play with people who I know approach music a little bit differently mm-hmm. just because, you know, it gives layers, yeah. something different to listen to every time somebody else is playing. And dude just has a beautiful tone. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and for everybody who doesn't know Ulysses S. Owens, Jalen, explain who Ulysses is. So uh, Ulysses Owens, um, drummer extraordinaire, I guess, um, lives in New York. He was, I guess, um, most well known for his work with uh, Christian McBride Trio um, and their Blazing Speed Cherokee rendition, I guess. And also, I guess, Kurt Elling. I know he's maybe won a Grammy or something, nominated something with Kurt. And also, who's the other third, the third big one that he writes in his bio? I don't know. But he plays with everybody. Um, Christian Sands, anybody who, yeah. anybody who has, I guess, made it in the jazz world has had Ulysses as their drummer at some point, more than likely. And super nice dude. Um, he's taken me all over the world. Super grateful for him. Um, he's been incredibly supportive and like kind of a big brother and when I mess up his music he never makes me feel bad about it so shout out to Ulysses yeah. <laughs> so great guy great yeah. guy yeah everybody definitely need to check him out but how about for you know people who don't know you or are just mm. listening give us your whole give us the backstory give us like how you came up what inspired you to play the vibes or even just getting music what inspired you to do jazz high school college give us the whole rundown for sure um so i was born in well actually i was born in washington dc moved mm-hmm. to houston i think my mom tells me like seven months um i was about seven six or seven months old so i've only i only know houston in this neighborhood third ward so Born and raised, well, not born, raised in Third Ward. And I am super grateful to my parents because I guess from elementary school all the way through undergrad, I only went to performing arts school. So I went to uh, McGregor Elementary, which is a music magnet, um, which is where I started playing drums, percussion. And that's really interesting. Like, um, when I they let you pick an instrument in third the third grade but when I was in kindergarten one of my best friends uh Jalen Archie I don't know if you guys know Jalen okay yeah so me and Jalen went to elementary school together mm-hmm. um kindergarten like literally known him my whole life and he was playing better than some people play today in kindergarten and that was like when you're five my mind was still blown. I was like, I don't know what he's doing, but that's what I want to do. He's a crazy drummer. Yeah. He's got a specific oh. style. One of the best. One of the best, in my opinion. There's a lot of people lucky he's uh, he's in Houston and not in New York right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> in my opinion. But um, who else? 
who else went to that school? Sterling Overshawn. I don't know if you guys know Sterling. I um, I yeah, I know Sterling. Okay, okay. And um, his He's younger brother Bubba, right? Tehran. Yeah, they yeah. all. So Sterling I was is funny. <laughs> when I was in kindergarten, so Sterling was a grade above me. Jalen Archie was in a, in the grade with me, and Tehran was the grade below me. So I was like surrounded oh. by these virtuoso prodigies um at a really young age and they they're they're still to this day some of my best friends and they've always been super encouraging to me but i was like i want to do what those guys are doing so third grade came and they let you let you pick your instrument and i was not gonna budge on playing the drums or percussion um so you know i started when i got real serious about it maybe about the fourth or fifth grade i started taking lessons with uh sam dinkins the third don't know if you guys know Sam, but I've his, heard of that name. His studio is literally up the street. Mm, it's on like insane. Wichita. Oh wow! And Southmore, well, Southmore and then Wichita. And he plays drums. Yeah, yeah, percussion. Yeah. Um, incredible hand percussionist specifically. But like when I studied with him, everything like he made me learn mallets, drum set, concert snare, timpani, whatever, any anything you can hit. That's cool. Um, so like super grateful for him for making me literally test the water on anything that you can possibly strike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from McGregor, I then went to Johnston Middle School, which um, at the time, the band director was uh, Craig Green, which, um, who's sounded legendary. Like sounded like you said bitch. Oh. <laughs> Definitely did not. But um, uh, Mr. Green was um legendary music jazz instructor band director in Houston and um, incredible inspiration to me because he was he was definitely very hard on his students like terrifyingly so like he was, mm-hmm. he was I'm, I can't say he was mean he was very demanding there's some good cats coming out of Johnston yeah honestly yeah, yeah you know Chris Dave Eric Harlan yeah the same names that went to PBA uh, yeah. Jason Moran um, they all went to this Johnston Middle School? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, Paul Sterling, um, Matthew Kirkwood. There's a just a obscene list. I think one say Walter Smith the third too, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, just a lot of people. And they all, especially the drummers, they all went through uh, Mr. Green, and Mr. Green was a, um, was a drummer. And he was... Wow. He's from Houston. He played in the Cashmere Stage Band, which was, like, really big in the 70s. If you want to hear some incredibly in, uh, authentic funk, you got to check out the Cashmere Stage Band. I've never heard of them. Yeah, you, I don't know if any of the music, because it was a high school band. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, at Cashmere High School in, uh, I want to say Fifth Ward, and um, one of the few, I guess, black-led um, kind of music programs in, in HISD at the time mm. and led by the legendary Conrad Johnson who's huge here in Houston oh cool and um, they were playing like for real for real and Mr. Green was a drummer there when he was in high school I think he went to North Texas and then came and he was at Johnston for like at least 20 years maybe longer because he definitely retired uh, as a band director there but that was a, a great experience, and that's when I kind of started playing more drum set mm-hmm. and uh, playing in the jazz band. And I remember this very vivid, vividly because I was like really into like classical percussion at the time, and um, I was like one of the few people there who was like really comfortable on mallets. 
So when I was in jazz band, there was three drummers, maybe four. Might have been four drummers in the jazz band, and obviously only one drummer can play at a time. So he made me play vibes on So What. And I remember being terrified out of my mind. And at the time, my friend uh, Paul, who's on the album, was he's a great under me. And I remember calling him, and I was like, bro, I have no idea what to do on this <laughs> song. And he was like, he was like, it's all good, bro. Like, you just play this scale, and then when I look at you, you mm-hmm. switch to this scale. <laughs> That's yeah. So that was like, Mr. Green, like, threw me into the deep end mm-hmm. and when <laughs> when he in, in that specifically in the jazz band if he looked at you to solo you better stand up and play something right it might you might not play a single right note but right. i remember him yelling at us he was like you're gonna stand up and play something for your parents because uh, <laughs> he was like if i point at you to solo don't shake your head <laughs> that's awesome so hey that, that i mean that's it exactly and that's the only way to to do yeah. it you know yeah. that's the only way to get better at it so that was like my first experience with jazz vibes and from johnston i went to hspva the high school for the performing and visual arts in montrose at the, it was in montrose at the time mm-hmm. and i got in there playing classical percussion because that's what I thought I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to like play snare drum in, in a philharmonic or whatever. Wow. I was in pretty deep. Uh-huh. And then I realized that they want me to play like four mallet marimba and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think That's I, cool too though. It is. It's classical very cool. Marimba. I love listening to it. I yeah. do not like playing it. Beautiful. It is stressful. <laughs> but um, so like the first two years at PVA I was doing nothing but classical music. And I, once again, I love listening to it now. I have some really great friends who are- So grades nine and 10? Yes, okay. grades nine and 10. And then, I'm trying to remember what happened. My 11th grade year, I might've been the back end of my 10th grade year, I heard <laughs> um, an album by Stefan Harris called, uh, called Urbanist. How did I know you were gonna say something? <laughs> and like, that's, Stefan has a lot of albums, but that album is kind of like a pseudo, almost like R&B funk, kind of more poppy sound for jazz. Mm -hmm. And to that time, at that time, I had never heard the vibraphone in like that intense of a contemporary setting. Mm. Like there's obviously Roy Ayers who made a lot of money doing like R&B music, but I hadn't heard of him yet. And Stefan you know, his band's playing and he has Casey Benjamin singing on vocorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, well, what is this? Oh, and he's playing know. marimba and it's all just like real soulful, like mm-hmm. pentatonic scale, yeah. like bluesy stuff. And I'm like, I gotta play this. And mm-hmm. it was such a change of pace from playing like Bach inventions or whatever, which I still do actually, I practice those all the time. But I used to get in a lot of trouble with the band director at PVA, because uh, <laughs> we'd be playing and I would start just changing notes and adding grace notes and stuff mm-hmm. in like an ensemble setting. He'd be like, man, he was like, Jalen, can you please just play what's there? And, <laughs> which I don't think anybody should ever rewrite Bach. I was stupid right. to try and do so. But at the time, I was just like feeling and hearing something yeah. different. Especially once I heard Stefan, that's when the gloves came off completely, and I was like, "Man, I have to play jazz." Stefan's a classical guy too, isn't he? Yes, very much so. So he came into jazz, but he has—he's not a conventional jazz player, I don't think, because he has his own concept. 
yeah big time so yeah and it's it's very very much far removed from how most people kind of teach jazz i guess in a more academic setting um which is a whole nother hour conversation maybe for another time but like yeah his no 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 maybe can, can you tell real quick about his whole concept of of visualizing and emotive uh, emotively thinking about harmony and i know you know about it so. yeah yeah so like <clears throat> stefan the way he kind of approaches things he doesn't necessarily i i guess first off when all of us have been to music school like everything is like score um scale chord theory i guess in the sense of this scale goes with this chord right. or these are the like one three five seven are the scale degrees yeah. that you should be kind of focusing on stefan is and they tell you like those are the notes that you should hit now they don't give you any explanation why they just say mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to play but stefan is more from the every note regard in our 12 note system um Every note has an individual emotion, mm. just out of context. So like C, out of context, has a feeling and an emotion. C sharp has a completely different one. And um, I've taken a lot of lessons with Stefan, and he will literally make me go through every single note in the 12 tone scale and in our chromatic scale and assign an emotion yeah. to it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then once you do it out of context, now you do it against a bass note. So now you oh, wow. put a drone on, and you play a C, right. and now you what is that? What is what is the emotion behind the C? The interval. What is yeah, the interval? yeah, and then like a C sharp is like how does that feel against yeah. an F? Like is it happy, sad? Yeah, because he'll he'll use very like I don't want to say let's say basic like uh, terms to yeah. describe them just so it's not overcomplicated. And that just brings out a whole nother side of people's playing because it's not so um, theoretical. It's more organic. Mm-hmm. And then once you do that, then you'll do it all by ear. He'll just play a note. And because you have assigned a motion to that note, you're supposed to be able to hear it in a different way. Yeah. The irony of learning the like chord scale way is that you know, hopefully once you get out of the mathematical thinking, you can eventually almost get to the point where you're thinking about things like, well, how does this feel versus Mm -hmm. what am I going to choose? But that's one way to go about it. That's probably the long route. But what's cool about him is he goes directly into the emotions and and he says, well, this is a music that you're playing to inspire some sort of feeling. So we got to talk about that. Yeah. And what was interesting is like the first lesson I took with him, we were identifying, I guess, all of the different um, iterations of like seventh chords. So like dominant seven, dominant seven, sharp nine, dominant seven, sharp, sharp nine, sharp five, whatever. And he would just play them and I would have to identify. And once again, he has everything like C7 is like regal or whatever, or C7 sharp 11 is like glittery. And Mm -hmm. So when he plays them, and I have all this stuff written down, I should show you guys one, yeah. one of these days. It's all in my iPad. When he plays it, he wants you to answer immediately what it is. There's no time to think because you're just responding. You're just right. reacting because that's in real time. You don't have time to sit there and think about it. Well, kind of like if you look at a person's face and they're sad, you're going to say sad. Exactly. Yeah. And what was really discouraging about that lesson is um, him telling me that like his five-year-old son can identify all of the chords um, immediately uh-huh. because he, his, he he said because his son doesn't know anything about music right and his ears haven't been tainted oh right because wow. like 
That's you know, cool. I'm in I'm in the thick of like my undergrad, um, <laughs> maybe my senior year, and I'm like, oh, now I'm I'm trying to hear the bass note and like all of this, and he's like, man, don't don't worry about any of that. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he was like, what is the what is the emotion behind the chord? Oh, yeah. So like, it's really deep. You know, it really opened me up uh, playing wise, and I don't care so much about playing wrong notes anymore because every note has a meaning now. So as long as you're mm-hmm. as long as you're intentional. With it, it, it's not as important. His son probably is gonna be a beast. Yo, more than likely, yeah. if he even decides to do music, I'd yeah. be tired of him at this point. It was like, well, of yeah. course, get out of my face, ass. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, like hearing Stefan's record and whatnot, as I was when I was my junior year in high school, was mind blowing. And so then I reached out to a local vibraphonist in town, a couple actually. Um, the first of which being uh, Harry Shepard, oh. who's a legend. And I am super grateful to Harry, because first off, he's an incredible person, strong as an ox, has beat cancer like 36 times, yeah. still kicking, still playing, like I think he's like 95. Yeah. Still smoking. Yeah, hey, man, it must, that might be what's keeping him here, because <laughs> that's how it works sometimes. And um, every time I see him, he's still so, so nice to me, um, and he never gives people lessons. I just cold emailed him one day when I was mm. in high school. He responded and he came up to the school like four or five times and gave me lessons. Like they were quick, but he gave me so much to work on. And once again, like he's played with legends like Coleman Hawkins. He's actually in the Ken Burns jazz documentary. Oh um, shit, I like, didn't know that. He's in there for a split second playing with like Coleman Hawkins or somebody. Mm. So that 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 in itself shows like wow. the level at, <laughs> that he that he's at. Right. And, and if you want to see him, you can see him at Brazil yeah. Cafe yeah. <laughs> in Montrose. Yeah. <laughs> so I reached out to him, and I did some lessons with, with Harry, and then I later reached out to um, Chase Jordan, who's a great, great friend of mine, um, like a, another big brother, and he's actually a protege of Stefan. Like, they're like stupid close mm. like really really close so once i found that out i was like okay well i gotta i gotta get some of chase so mm-hmm. um chase also he's he grew up in third ward i would his um where he was living at the time he was only maybe like three or four blocks from my house so i would walk to his house to uh, take lessons oh, wow. and he had me doing so much stuff and he's another one anybody who's heard chase play chase is a uh like a locomotive, like he does not stop from for anybody. He plays whatever he wants when he wants, and I think that was something that I really needed in high school, especially coming from a more classical uh, background. Like he kind of encouraged wrong notes in a sense, mm-hmm. and like I remember him telling me like maybe the first or second lesson, he was like, "Man, to be honest, like it's really not that hard, bro. Just go for it." And I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't really know what that meant. I was like, "I guess I could just move my hands and like pray for the best," but and. and you know, there's some beauty in that too, right? You yeah. Know? Um, but that was like the type of thing that I needed because just, you know, playing a lot of classical music, as I'm sure all of us have to this point, um, you play what's on the page. Right. Yeah. You know, you can be expressive with it, and there's some people that <clears throat> are incredible at interpreting and putting their own spin, but like, there's not really much, you have to play what's on the page at the end of the day. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the notes on the page are what's being played. Um, so, like, Chase, just hearing him be like, man, you know, like, don't worry so much about it. Like, this is the key you're in. Go. Right. Like, <laughs> and 
like I think that really helped me get to where I am now because because that's how I kind of started playing jazz. I've never been super caught up in like making mistakes or whatever because I made a lot of them and um I'm just willing to like try something. Mm-hmm. I was telling uh Marwan on Sunday or no, Monday at the jam. I was like, "Man, you know, um when you're playing, you don't know something doesn't work until you try it." Right? Yeah. Cuz I was telling him, you know, you could change the bass notes, especially like if we're playing a blues, I'm like until you know until you know what an E sounds like at the top of the form, you don't know what it sounds like. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. not to say that that should be the, your your first option. Yeah. But I was like, you know, be ambitious and and just try stuff just for the sake of knowing. Maybe not do it on the bandstand. Yeah. But, you know, in the practice room, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't like you're saying everything has an emotion. I don't know. Personally, just right now in my head, I have no idea what it e would sound like at the top of the form of an F blues. It probably sounds terrible. But <laughs> but it also could sound cool, you know. Little, I don't know. A little crunch. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and that's kinda what um people like Chase and Stefan and some of my other professors in undergrad and grad school kind of got reinforced in me. So I guess we're in high school now, right? Stop. I played classical music all through high school, but I kind of was like, kind of got to the point where I was about half and half at PBA. Mm. Wasn't necessarily playing in the ensembles, but like I was playing with all of my friends who are literally my biggest inspirations, like Paul, like who I've said multiple times, Paolo, Paolo Castagnoli, who's great drummer too, lives in New Orleans, Jalen Archie, obviously, um, James Francis, who also has an album out right now. Mm-hmm. Check out James's album. Um, Jeremy Dutton mm. um, who else was at PBA at the time Hayden Hamilton I don't know if you guys know Hayden I, th- I don't know how much he plays but he does live here in Houston monster man he was drummer mm. like monster drummer like anybody who was at PBA around that time Jalen Jeremy uh, like they'd all be like yeah Hayden was that guy for sure um, trying to want to leave anybody out Jiren Walls um <laughs> <laughs> Jiren was an incre- is an incredible uh, saxophone player when he decides to pick it up. Yeah, and he he's That's a bad funny. bad dude. And um, who else? Matthew Kirkwood, um, who's a bassist out in L.A. Mostly uh, like electric, but could really play some upright too. While we were in high school, so like being around all of those dudes who definitely had it way more together than I did um, was super helpful, and they were always incredibly encouraging, like. Um, they never if I they would always invite me to come play knowing that I hadn't been playing long like especially James and Jalen and Paul um, and I'd mess stuff up I'd mess up heads we'd be playing a blues I come up come in with the melody in the middle of the form like they never uh, shunned me or uh, they were never mean or uh, told me like anything negative they would just correct me you know mm-hmm. and not even in a mean way they'd be like yeah man you know uh, you just came in with came in with the melody wrong and I'd be like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And that was just an incredible experience because, to be honest, like, just being from PVA through undergrad to grad school, I still think probably the best players I ever played with were at PVA. Oh, wow. Which is weird to think about. There's nothing on my other two schools, but that's just the level at, like, at which those guys were playing. Like, James is maybe one of the best pianists in the world right now. (laughs) And Jeremy Dutton, like, I didn't play much with Jeremy, but if you hear him play with, like, VJ Iyer, I would 
never want to see that music on paper. I'm sure that's super intimidating, like just hard stuff. And he's just floating over it like it's nothing, yeah. you know. And Jalen, obviously, who's also super accomplished. But after PVA, I went to Columbia College, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there for four years, and that was, once again, an incredible experience. Because the cool thing about Chicago is that there's a it's like a smaller New York in the sense of there's a lot of different scenes. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to kind of dabble in most of them. Um, like my first year, I my first, well, all four years, but my freshman year, I had a uh, percussion and well a vibraphone instructor named Jared Hicks who was the best the absolute best um probably a drummer by nature but he was also like a really good vibraphonist and he made me do everything that I never wanted to do like mm. he made me pick up four mallets like I was done with four mallets like once I got to maybe my junior year of high school and I was like okay I'm playing jazz Mill Jackson doesn't play with four mallets I don't need four mallets <laughs> Stefan doesn't usually use four mallets I don't need four mallets but I got to freshman year he was like yeah comp through this tune and I could not do it <laughs> and yeah. so like my first two years were almost like um, very much just devoted to like comping mm-hmm. and just playing chords on the instrument which was great because I was kind of coming from the background of play whatever you want but then getting the uh, getting the more harmonic aspect to everything together, like, kind of molded the two worlds completely. And just being able to see everything on the instrument um, just helped a lot. I don't know. That would piss me off with the four mounts, man. <laughs> oh, God. man. It's not fun. I just scraped my hand up yesterday, uh, on Monday playing playing with them. But, I mean, it, it, it's a skill, you know. Like, there's guys who do it a lot better than me, but I do – pride myself on the fact that Harry's good at that shit. Oh man. God. It's, it's incredible, right? Wow. Yeah. And Gary Burden obviously there's a great yeah. vibraphonist right now named uh Simon. Um I don't know how to pronounce his uh, last name, Molier or he's French, so I don't know how yeah, to I know who you're talking but about. he's ridiculous. That's my guy. Um he also he also has an album out right now. I guess this is the summer for albums. And um he's incredible but when Jared was making me do all that four mallet stuff, man, I used to try and avoid it like the plague. Like, <laughs> I would be in combo, and my other professors, I don't know if they just talked about me, uh, just like planned against me, but for some reason, they all made sure that I was playing four mallets every second of every day. Like, wow. just at least comping for people. Um, I would leave mallets at home. I'd be like, yo, like, my bad. Like, I forgot two at <laughs> home. Like, I only got two right now. Uh... <laughs> And that that only lasted so long, but eventually, you know, I got I got really really comfy at it. Like I don't shy away from it now at all. But that was like a nice, um, that kind of just filled my sound out a little bit. And then one of my friends, I guess my sophomore year, maybe my freshman year, named Adam Shedd, he asked me to be in this quartet that he was starting, which was like kind of like half more conventional like modern jazz and then half free jazz. And that was the best. Actually, that was probably one of my favorite groups I've ever played in because talk about play whatever you want. Like, he'd bring in his tunes. Like, the whole band would write. And he would bring in his tunes, and his tunes would have, like, it would be, like, one staff, one stave, and just, like, five notes on it. (laughs) It's like, what do you do with this? That's awesome. You know, oh, no, it was great, man. And, like, the guys playing in the group, um, this guitar player, um, Perry, uh, Calorie, great composer, incredible guitarist, um, ears for days. Um, 
he was just like playing with him um, and listening to him comp for people was just that was just super inspiring. I mean, not like even any of his solo stuff. He was a great soloist. I, I'm someone like I love hearing how people comp because mm. that's just that's another level of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. You just have to be able to uh, um, bring somebody up. You know, right. at that moment, it's literally not about you at all. Mm. And he would comp his ass off. It was crazy. And the bassist Tony Piazza, a great friend of mine, like that. That group was. Um, super inspiring and I needed that because I feel like sometimes in the jazz world we could be a little stuck up you know especially with, mm. when it comes to like things like free jazz because mm. it's like I guess it's not deemed I don't know real or right I don't know but yeah. you know people like Ornette have obviously shown that that this is an incredibly valid um, uh, subgenre of the genre you know <laughs> it's yeah. It, it, it's fine, and I still listen to some of that stuff today. I don't listen to a ton of it, but I respect it immensely because you can hear when it's not done well, and you can hear when it's yeah. done incredibly well. And also, if you actually attain a freedom in that context where wherein you are physically able to capture a sound that you are hearing mm-hmm. against whatever backdrop, that is a huge skill to have because that is essentially what you want to have in more organized improvisation which involves harmony and rhythm yeah so and it's like what you said before you don't want to think too much you also it's just not that hard you just got to go for it mm-hmm. well that's that is an environment in which you're gonna seriously have to work on that yeah and chicago to me probably has like the best scenes for free jazz mm. seriously. maybe maybe paris Maybe oh, Paris. Wow. Just from like what my the stuff my friends have shown me. Like I've seen the New York stuff. Like obviously like Tyshawn Sorry um is great. But like some of the guys in Chicago to me are just like just doing just some next level stuff. And even they, they also like a lot of people don't have the scene of young people doing it. Mm-hmm. Chicago does to me. Like there's a saxophone player named Isaiah Collier who's really skilled, um he's a great friend of mine. He's young, he's younger than he's maybe about your age. So like um, maybe 22, might be a little younger than you, mm. but um, he blends the worlds of like playing like kind of Kenny Garrett-ish, Coltrane-ish, but also playing like the the Chicago free jazz style. That's sweet. And it's crazy, man, because it's it's so authentic, it's so personal, and it's um, <clears throat> they're not just up there doing it for no reason. And the one thing I love about the free jazz guys is that there's almost no money involved in that sometimes. So they really yeah. love it. You know, like there's already not a ton of money with jazz. Yeah. So if you even wanna uh if you wanna dig even diaper uh diaper deeper into the uh, rabbit hole of yeah. <laughs> free jazz. So but like you getting to witness that um against the more traditional side of the Chicago jazz scene, which is also incredible, um was great for me because I could see the both worlds and then you can kind of see the interlap, um, the overlap, um, that some of the musicians who were playing the free jazz and then come, you know, just destroy Cherokee, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it's like, man, you know, that, that that's the most versatile thing anybody can yeah. do mm-hmm. is to play with restraints and then play with none whatsoever and it still comes off the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good way of putting that. You know, real quick, mm-hmm. who somebody who kind of uh, introduced me to, I would say, free jazz in Houston was Keith Carnegie. Oh, okay. You know Keith Carnegie? I know of him. Keith is Wasn't just Wasn't he like, in the... Um... He was... 
Uh, he's known for being in Henry Grimes's band, like in the gotcha. '70s or something like that. I can't even say that I know a lot about Henry Grimes. I just know that he was a well-known free jazz artist in California, I believe. Gotcha. And uh, for some reason, Keith wanted to. Keith still to this day likes playing like super free, and he's very old now, and he's a drummer, and uh, it would be like me, him, Corey Wilson, and Seth Painter. Cool. And I was just like. Man, the first time I was like, I don't really know exactly what to do. And then they would just build it yeah. and keep building. And then you'd actually come out with this thing that was like so crazy and so intense. And then it would just kind of end at a point mm -hmm. when you're like all telepathically like, okay, we're done. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It was just, that was really eye-opening for me. And it's something that I would like to do more. And it's hard to like, like when you play with Keith today, like sometimes even Armin and I have played with him recently. He, one, he hates groove. He mm -hmm. said, we're not grooving one bit. <laughs> and then, okay. And then, um, but <laughs> we'll be like playing a standard or something. And he'll be like, can you, can you just play this more free? And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and we'll figure it out. But, you know, it's definitely, it's like painting without restraint either. I feel like music and art and even cooking, mm -hmm. they're like all these very just analogous thing where when it's free, I really like it because I don't have any sort of restraint whatsoever or any sort of judgment mm -hmm. and I can't judge it or at least you shouldn't judge it. And then you can just keep going. So, you know, if you, you know, for anybody who's listening, go try it, go try it out. Just make some sound. Right. Even with Sophie, my girlfriend, Sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll be having a night and she's not a musician by trade, but her parents are and she grew up playing violin. Okay. And sometimes, like there was this one time, her dad is a really well-known classical pianist. So she, and her mom is also a really well-known violinist. And she got on the piano, I was on upright bass and I was like, we're just gonna go totally free and just play. And it was one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Should have recorded it. They didn't do it. <laughs> nah, but man. that's the magic of it. You're exactly. I was like, it's where it needs to be now. <laughs> yeah. So just, I'm just going along with what you're saying. I'm gonna pull a 180, and it's gonna be weird. <clears throat> Here we go. Both your arms are chopped off. What do we do now? <laughs> you know what's really weird? <laughs> Earlier in the car today, I was kind of brain. I was brainstorming, kind of like some things I wanted to ask yeah. you today. Mm -hmm. I thought, what if your hands were chopped off? <laughs> what would you do? You know, um, I think about it too because I always, <laughs> I always worry about getting carpal tunnel uh, and not yeah. being able to play uh, too much. Uh, I probably would just write. Yeah. Um, more okay. than likely would, would write more than anything. Be a prolific writer. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'd have to get somebody to, uh, <laughs> to transcribe me or whatever. But... Um, <laughs> That, that, that's an interesting thought. I haven't figured that out completely. But I do think about it. I was like, man, you know, if I ever hurt myself, like, yeah. what, I'm, what am I going to do? But um, I love teaching. I don't know how I would teach. Well, actually, I know how I would teach without playing because I don't like playing that much when I teach anyway. Mm. But um, unless they're really good, then I like trading. But, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, think I, I think I would mostly write and probably do some other things outside of music. I'm really into uh um, mentorship on some level 
since moving back to Houston, um, at least I didn't really care about it until I got here and met some of the younger guys because there's just so many talented young musicians in Houston. Mm -hmm. Like younger, we're not old, like younger than us. Yeah. Like yeah. At, at the high school or even some like college age, like obviously like uh, um, Deshaun who plays with you guys, yeah. who's a friend, he's my barber. Thanks, shout out to Deshaun. Yeah. Happy birthday who's, to Deshaun too. Happy birthday to him. He's and in New York he's right in New now. York yeah. with Chris and, and Pookie. Pookie. Yeah, yeah. Doing an album. Yeah, yeah. So he's doing. He's one of the talented guys here. Uh, Mark Simmons, uh, Jr., who's like literally like like my little brother at this point. And Marwan and Jordan Bush, um, <laughs> Matthew uh, Fu, um, student of mine. Like there's there's so many. Um, I met a guitarist on Monday. What was his name? Man, I feel bad. Was he short? Yeah. A little shorter. Yeah. Dark short haircut. Yeah. I know who does he sing? Too? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I forget his name, but I know you're talking. Man, about. what? I hate that I forget mm -hmm. his name. Hmm. I can't. I can't remember. I don't know if I ever got his name, but he. Uh, we saw him at the Chapman and Kirby Jim session that one time we went, and he was actually singing. And uh, he's great. Yeah, yeah, man. So like, he's like really good. The, like I said, we're young, but those guys are. They're literally like kind of like a generation or two below, but at least below me at PBA. Yeah. And it, it's just refreshing to see. Like I have some of them play with me like almost every week. Like my Juan plays my Saturday regular brunch gig with me yeah. every weekend. Where he was when I first moved back to town, and where he is now is like night and day. Like it's actually mm -hmm. pretty incredible. And um, you know, wish them the best of luck. I think some of them, most of them, are going to college next year, but. If I couldn't play, I would probably try and have a little bit more uh, hand in education than I do now. I don't right. necessarily aspire to teach that much, but if I couldn't play, I think that's I would have to live vicariously. As long as you can yeah. play, it's not that much teaching. But if you can't exactly. play, <laughs> I think that's the general consensus. Yeah, that's how. I you know, I'm realizing right now though, teaching is um, it's actually pretty rewarding in the sense that when you are with somebody for a little while and you help them just keep growing and actually you figure out how to teach them better mm -hmm. and i can't say that i like know how to teach well hey we're all figuring it out <laughs> and i feel like i have more students now than i you know did back in the day and i'm like really trying to figure out how to teach them best especially if they're starting from zero yeah especially if they can't match a pitch just singing mm -hmm. i'm like whoo how are we gonna do this but i'm figuring it out and mm -hmm. it's really cool and it's cool to see their progress and um you know, yeah, you know, if we all all weren't able to play, that's a that's a cool outlet to have. Yeah, I mean, pass, pay it forward somehow. Yeah, and exactly. To be honest, teaching will show you how good you are because if you can't explain it, then you really don't know it. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't execute it. So you know, I can tell someone to do this and that all day, but if I literally can't demonstrate it on any yeah. level, um, doesn't even necessarily have to be playing. But if I can't present it in a way that helps them to learn it. I probably don't know it that well myself. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to teach everybody a little differently, especially if you're teaching, like, let's say jazz. Because mm -hmm. um, everyone doesn't approach improvising the same way, just from an organic level, you know, it's different people. Like, jazz is one of the more personal, personal uh, artistic mediums. So, because it's what we're putting out there just from here and here. Yeah. So, everyone's gonna be a little bit different and getting them to be able to express what's in their head is you know that's a challenge yeah totally some people sing some people can't really sing uh 
some people can sing through their instruments some people don't like to approach it that way some people are more rhythmic so now it's like okay some people are visual exactly no that's, that's a big a, that's a big thing, thing. That i realized recently yeah, it's like our instruments are like really visual yeah. i don't know how much bass is um at least upright yeah obviously like the fretted one is can be visual too but like that's a that's a whole completely different thing like yeah. I, I talk i talk shapes a lot um on vibes but that doesn't resonate with everyone. Mm-hmm. Some people, some of my students have like uh, like two or three right now. A couple of them are like really good with shapes and then one one of them specifically is a lot better orally. Mm. How's so, your scat singing? Oh, it's not great at it's all. It's not great. It's not, I mean, you guys have heard me play. Like if I'm playing and I'm vocalizing, it's like, <laughs> like it's, it's nothing, yeah. it's nothing. I, I can. Would you say that, um, like other than the physical, maybe the limit of of singing, do you hear ideas mm. pretty clear, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. So then, um, I don't know about you, but it's like to me, um, the physical limitation at the end of the chain of 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 connections. Like if if you're running a, if you're running sound, right? Mm-hmm. If your first input is really solid quality, that's really going to be the most important thing. So, like, your first generator of information is your mind, Mm -hmm. your brain. And that's where the quality of music is ideally supposed to be the best before it gets to your fingers, where it can be lost in translation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that all the peripherals, uh, in other words, the the digital aspects of it are hooked up. So Mm -hmm. that being said, I'm finding that I think that it's, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, but it's like, I think it's, it's, it's time to buckle up and actually maybe even transcribe yourself. Yeah, no, you really. You what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, for what sure. What do I have inside the potential to come out? Do I even Am I even aware of that, or am I constantly limited by physically what I'm trying to do? Mm. And, you know, that was something that was, like, really challenging. Well, still is very challenging for me um, to this day, was that when I first started playing jazz, I had a lot of just technical facility on my instrument, um, probably from all the classical music and playing a lot of just things that weren't written for marimba or vibraphone, so... <laughs> you play a violin concerto on vibraphone Mm -hmm. it's hard Mm -hmm. and I was doing that in high school so like by the time I kind of got to the jazz world I had all of this uh facility and I could pretty much kind of play anything that I could think up Mm -hmm. um but what that did was that that would be the like you're saying um what's up here is your first input my first input would be kind of here Mm -hmm. you know so like I had to like I still right now have to like kind of take a step back and make sure that I'm not just kind of playing from muscle memory. Right. And funny enough, um, the Gifton, um, I saw he made an Instagram post maybe some months back, and it was like really profound to me. Um, that's why I remember it was probably even might maybe even a year ago. He was saying that he's always trying to break muscle memory mm. and not play anything from muscle memory. Right. Because then he's not, I guess in a way, not really improvising. Mm. He's kind of just relying on what he already has like in his hands and i was like oh man you know i think a lot of us probably do that i know i do just because it's like you know you see a two five coming up and you're like got it covered you know (laughs) like like without even a second thought you're about to play something that you may have already played and already know and um i've always had to 
make sure that what I'm playing is coming from coming from my uh, my ears and not necessarily always my hands. But I think there's a there's a healthy balance. Like sometimes music calls for you just to like flail your arms across your instrument, you know? Mm. From like, I guess we were saying, like the free aspect of it. It doesn't always have to come from up here, but if I'm trying to play melodically, I gotta make sure that I'm not just hitting whatever. Right. Mm. Especially on my instrument, just because of, I'm pretty detached from it. It's like one of the few instruments, maybe the only instrument that you can't actually feel while you're playing it, I actually don't Mm. know. I don't know if there's another right, one. Right, because it's right here, not here. Yeah, and I'm hitting it with mallet. So, like, no right. part of my body, I guess my foot when I'm pedaling, but if mm-hmm. I play marimba, like, no part of my body is touching the instrument. Mm-hmm. So, actually, funny enough, and because of that, I think I, I honestly think I hear a little bit better playing piano. And I'm not a pianist at all, mm-hmm. but I do a lot of writing and just playing, or I probably practice play more stuff on piano than I do vibes. And my ideas usually, even though they're like, 200 BPM slower come out a little bit clearer on piano. I, and I think it's probably because I can really feel where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's more of a physical connection between me and my instrument or me and the instrument. But that's why I like vibes. You know, there's always. Yeah. I don't know what you would call me. a tar vibe, key, key, guitar vibe, or, or like if you can just hang up. <laughs> right. Oh. They well, do that in the like, marching bands, yeah. low key, with the like yeah. glockenspiels. Right. <laughs> now, one question I was going to say to you, because mm-hmm. we were saying about your hands getting chopped off, mm-hmm. was let's go away from music. Mm-hmm. For people who don't know you at all, what is something that, if you weren't doing music, what, what are you interested in? I love sports. I'm like way too emotionally invested in, really? in basketball. Wait, oh, sure. like, there's, a, there's a game tonight, and I am what like, game? Um, the, it's, we're in the finals. Uh, well, we're not in the finals. We- Houston is not. <laughs> Me and my boy CP3 are in the finals, and he's been just back quick thing. Like Chris Paul has been like my favorite basketball player for like my whole life, That's awesome. and he's never made it to the finals. This is his 16th year in the league, and he finally made it. Oh, shit, so I now I'm like, uh, like we gotta win one. Yeah. We gotta, cause everyone's like, oh, he's not gonna win, yada yada yada. But, um, so like I love sports. I guess that's like my hobby right now. And I still dabble playing every once in a while. If I'm if I don't if I'm not too scared about hurting myself, I jammed my finger once playing basketball with some randos, and I was like, yeah, I can't do this no more. But um. Also, like I was saying, like mentorship doesn't necessarily have to be in uh, music, but I've had some people help me out, mm-hmm. and I do think it's important that people have um, older, more experienced people to like guide them yeah. in, in some way. Like obviously, like Corey Wilson's like great with you guys. I don't know how old Corey is, but like I see that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate him uh, for that just because, like, even him in the city, he, Corey's one of the few guys in town that will call younger guys on his gigs. Yeah. yeah. And when I say younger, I mean, like, yeah. high school. Yeah, 16. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know. He, like, he loves playing with Marwan. Yeah, yeah. You Which know, like. really cool. So. Or, or me, like, years ago, and I was like, God damn. It, it, exactly. Corey. You know, and Corey. If y'all don't know Corey Wilson, go follow Corey Wilson on. I don't know if Corey Wilson has social media. Instagram. Corey Wilson for sure. Sacks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but phenomenal musician, uh, great guy. Like he'll come if 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 you ask him to come play somewhere, even if it's just to sit in, he'll show up. I appreciate stuff like that because 
to be honest, um, there's a lot of people in town that don't call no young people. And mm. we're and I'm not even that young. And I'm like, man, you know, I get called a lot. I'm like, you know, instead of calling me, call some of the high school guys. Like, I don't need, I don't necessarily need to play every $100 gig that's uh, present in the city. Yeah. Like, I pass, I pass a lot of them on, to be honest. Yeah. And it's not necessarily to prove a point or anything. It's just like spread the wealth because nobody did that. Um, for for like me and some of my friends when we were in like high school or early college either like mm-hmm. I'd come I'd come back to town and never play I think a lot of people um, that I met when I moved back here in 2019 probably had no idea who I was mm-hmm. and I've lived in Houston almost every day of my life mm-hmm. you know because there was just nowhere to play no one was really calling there were some other guys who were really good about it like uh, Daryl Levine mm-hmm. Daryl's great um Kyle Turner, Kyle, I don't know, he doesn't necessarily hire um, a lot of young guys, but he is super supportive, like even to me recently and, you know, throughout uh, my career in Houston. Um, and I'm sure there are some other guys uh, here and there, Thomas Hilton, um, at least Thomas has been great for me, yeah. um, you know, and he doesn't need to call me for anything. But then there's more people who aren't doing that, you know, mm-hmm. so just everywhere not even just in Houston that's not a slight on the Houston music scene that's just what it is like Ulysses Owens could hire anybody and um, I played all over with Ulysses I've been to China with Ulysses um, like all up and down the northeast coast Um, the reason I have my instrument my current vibraphone is because of Ulysses that's how much money I made that he put in my pocket that's awesome and if y'all saw the uh, the vibraphone well you you may have uh the, my first vibe my like small vibraphone yeah like that's what I was gigging on and that thing is not equipped to like withstand the blows that are coming at it uh, <laughs> on like a three-hour gig so I would if I couldn't really play I would love to kind of dig into like you know tap into the younger generation a little bit um a little bit more yeah just because there's opportunities and you know we should be trying to uplift and make sure people if people really want to do this and it's really easy to tell like what like what younger guys are super serious about this and they just need help you know why are they having to like navigate um a world that you know we've already kind of have dealt with obviously we're still figuring it out yeah but if we can I'm, I personally think if I can give somebody a little bit of a shortcut, I'm going to give it to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not only yeah. that, but if you look at, I mean, uh, I, I hate to get kind of real, real mm-hmm. quick on you, but uh, uh, on the world. But if you look at the average kid right now, it seems like parenting has gone more and more out of the equation, <laughs> and yeah. like technology has become the parent or like a yeah. youtube show has become the parent and i'm like what and like, that doesn't make any sense what right? are y'all doing like the kid is eight months old like the kid is three years old and uh so mentorships becoming important but also like making more and more human contact because yeah. like i'm telling you right now like the amount of young people that i see like with low social skills that are like (laughs) anxiety pilled up i'm sorry to say but this is the truth you know so yeah yeah Yeah, you know it doesn't even have to be like you telling anybody what to do or whatever like a lot of i consider like guys like marwan and uh mark who have come up in conversation i guess right now um a few times i don't necessarily look at them i just look at them as friends like i legitimately uh uh, called in my friends. Yeah. It just so happens that I'm um, like, I think I'm about six years older than Mark and about eight years older than Marwan. 
So like, um, I showed him a level of respect that's mm-hmm. still like present as if I'm talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. So there's no like, they feel as though they can speak um, to me freely obviously with respect still but um like they they feel like i know they feel like they can talk to me pretty much about anything and i'm not gonna judge them and we can also joke around like those those dudes keep me laughing man like that's yeah. one reason i call them for gigs i'm like those are some funny dudes <laughs> marwan was straight on a stripper pole the other day exactly it's just <laughs> goofy man my shit. <laughs> just, just goofy so like i i mean i appreciate their um their brotherhood so i don't necessarily like just are all constantly in their ear with advice or anything. Yeah. I I let them make their mistakes and whatnot. Um, if they if they have a question, which they do often, which I'm grateful that they feel comfortable coming to me about things. Uh, I give them my honest opinion, and I don't if they can take it or they can't. And yeah. you know I think that's I think they feel um, feel good about that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't necessarily want it want to be like nitpicking someone's life i just kind of want to be present if if needed you know if they have questions about college or anything else that's going on like i've been through quite a bit uh to this point i think um once you get through your college degree it's hard to not have experienced a lot of life especially yeah if you've moved like if you've gone to college out of state or really far away from your parents Mm -hmm. you are just like uh, a dartboard for like anxiety and all kinds of other like life things that come up because no one's really um, n- your parents aren't, aren't at your immediate disposal so you gotta totally. figure some things out even though you might ask their help like there's no way they're getting to you that same day so I had to lose my shit here many times oh, right when I came here <laughs> and I went right to cafe 4212 and did not you know it was very green yeah, you just had to do it. That's what it's about, though. You know, that's what life. That's what life is about. That's why I like. Uh, that's why I like jazz. Jazz is life, right? Yeah. It's like you get lost in the form. You got to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> or just in the song. That's when them free jazz skills come into play. Exactly, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, everybody goes with you, or uh, you just keep doing your own thing. You got you a couple what, of choices. You know, it's fucking hard. Mm. When I sometimes I'll turn. Let's say you know with Gavin, he's doing something nuts, and I'll mm-hmm. turn the beat around. It's fucking hard to turn that back around. Oh, bro. It's like my brain stops working. You know, it's... You gotta stop playing, probably, and let that's the what beat I'm, come. That's what I'm saying. Like, but I don't want to stop. Hey, I mean, you'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. I know one thing that's really... And it might... You might be describing it the same way as turning the beat around. If I start hearing something at a... If there's, like, something at a fast tempo, and I start hearing beat one as beat three, or beat three as beat one, yeah. that uh. destroys me. Because, like, that's subtle enough to where, like, you're still kind of together, yeah. but, like, it doesn't work. Like, you're out of phase. Yeah! Yeah, yeah you are out of phase. And that's a good way to put when it. When I was playing with Ulysses, there would always be, like, one or two tunes that were just, like, stupid fast, man. Like, we were... When I was playing with him the most, we were, we would play uh, My Shining Hour at like breakneck breakneck tempo, man. It's just like him with the brushes and shit. And I'm like, anytime you see him pick up brushes, it's just like about to be a bad like next ten minutes. <laughs> and um, the trios like it was Ulysses, me, and Ruben Rogers, oh. and those guys are so locked in that I'm just on stage like and I remember very vividly like not being able to tell the difference between beats one and three first off because it was really fast yeah 
and I, they they did something that just turned me around completely and the whole time i was like here we go help like, me visualize this because i can't even really hear the melody faster because it, it feels like it would be awkward any faster than this if it's any faster than that it's like what the hell are we doing <laughs> hey man it's just for the blowing yeah, <laughs> like, right. at that point that's about how fast it would yeah. be yeah. and it would probably only get faster throughout man that would, that would be wild man i gotta I gotta go into the archives and find the video of that specific concert. And explain to the people what's the difference between the muscles you lose, you you use. Maybe maybe you can comment on this. The mm -hmm. muscles you use when you gotta play breakneck, and the muscles you use when you kind of have to kind of play fast. Like it's actually different, right? Because I would say like just like when you're sprinting, mm -hmm. you're using your fast twitch muscles. Yeah. And then when you're even jogging just kind of at a medium pace, that's just like your normal muscular uh, routine. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I'm no, no, for, for sure. Like, I guess in terms of vibes, yeah, it becomes like... Is it more muddy with vibes? No, no, no. Um, I'd say like, let's say we're playing something at a normal tempo. Yeah. It's more like almost full arm. Full arm, yeah. Full arm, like... Your upper body shouldn't move too much, but they're like, and they tell you, you know, when you're starting off, like it's all wrist movement. But mm. just realistically, if you need to project sound, like some of the power, a lot of the power is going to come from your forearms. Right. So like at a normal tempo, you're kind of getting um, a good bit of like all of this mm. and even some, bi definitely some biceps. Um, but once it gets fast, mm. all of that shortens. So that now, the yeah, so now it's nothing but wrist and you kind of sacrifice some volume like if i'm having to play really fast i usually switch you know, to get something. your thumbs in there too a little bit yeah yeah no honestly because a lot of it's gonna be grip strength like yeah. the grip strength is the first to go yeah. that is for sure like because i get i get tired like my arms and whatnot tense up all the time if i'm having to play fast and play fast and hard so i usually switch to like harder mallets mm -hmm. so i don't have to dig in as much right um but i can still move it's harder mallet's also gonna be a little lighter. I mean, same thing with guitar. Um, I remember one day I dropped my pick. I could not find it. It was dark, mm -hmm. and I had one pick left. It was it was a stubby, what's called a, a, a Wigan pick, mm -hmm. and there's this specific type of Wigan pick that's designed for playing rhythm gypsy guitar. <laughs> and the and the way that works is the the pick is about this thick. Mm -hmm. It's like seven millimeters, so it's almost a centimeter thick. Yeah, yeah. And it's more like a rock that you brush against the strings to get a brushing sound, like oh, okay. that kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like brushes on the drums. Yeah, yeah. So it's supposed to emulate that, but once you try to start playing like single notes, it's like trying to play strings with a round rock. It's like pretty much impossible. So I'm like doing my best and realizing that like. The, the significance of your pick, despite the fact that it's about this big, is huge in in that regard. Yeah. So same thing. It's it's fascinating. Like the the mechanics of instruments are really quite similar. And so when uh, kind of connecting this back to our previous topic, when we taught when the standard schooling system is so heavily based on the technicals. You're like, well, how long can we talk about the technicals? When are we <laughs> going to start talking about the music? Mm. And right, I guess they do that because it's you can you can talk about like the technicals in a very broad way that 
fits everybody. Yeah. Like, everyone can, I guess, figure out like the technical aspect of their instrument. Yeah. So, but in order to talk about the music, that has to be kind of personal to every diff- like each different person. Sure. So maybe so, they're scared to get personal. No, I, I think so. To be honest, like, yeah. but I guess ideally you'd be getting that in your private lessons. But I've taken enough. Le- I've had great teachers. I will yeah. say that. But I know a bunch of people who didn't necessarily enjoy their private lesson teachers to know that they weren't necessarily getting the personal direction right. that they really needed. Like, I'm grateful that um, when I was at Columbia and then when I later went to FSU, um, like, my my teachers were more focused on what makes me me opposed to trying to turn me into, like, Mill Jackson or Stefan or Warren Wolf or whoever. Um, so, like, that was helpful to me. But, there, you know, some of my friends just did nothing but play transcriptions. Mm-hmm. Like, for X amount of years. And, you know, I guess that helps, but it definitely isn't coming from your own head. And that probably, I personally think that like, transcribing is more technical, more for the technical aspect of your instrument than it is for anything creative. Mm -hmm. That's just me though. Like if I ask someone to transcribe something, it's probably usually stupid hard for my students. It's usually stupid hard and it's not on vibes. Mm -hmm. And that's just to get them around the instrument. Mm But, you know, like you were saying earlier, if you really want somebody to get their ears together, have them transcribe themselves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's a whole nother ball game. And, yeah. and that'll, that'll tell you everything you need to know about how much you're BSing a tune. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you'll fix it, you know. Yeah. I haven't done a lot of that, but I've done it a little bit. Me too, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, Jalen, what if there is one final thing that you want to say? If, like, you're on a platform here, you've been just dying to say it. Buy my album uh, (laughs) (laughs) on Amazon. uh, It's on all streaming platforms. This is me. This is us. Great band. Paul Cornish, Gavin Mulchan, uh, Gabriel Godoy, Gifton Jelen, uh, beautiful string quartet. Um, That's that's all I'd say. Uh, Catch me, look at my website when it's updated. Don't know when that will be. Uh, follow me on Instagram. This is like a few different things, but uh, you get the you get the point. Jalen on the vibes. Yep. Armin, yes. send us home because my camera's hot. Well, everybody, <laughs> this has been another fun episode with the amazing Jalen Baker. And we're so happy that he showed up and we had a really great time and we got into some deep conversations as well. So do buy his album and also follow Houston Ensemble on all social media follow yes, Jalen on all social media and, and we'll link Jalen's stuff in the description and we'll see you guys on the next episode don't forget to comment later